Blog Talk Radio. Praise God and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. We have a good one today. Derek Prince, How to Overcome Evil. One song of praise and worship, and then we're going to get into our sermon today. Lord, every day we wake, Lord, we try to keep our hearts with Analyzing, 
these things are tools for the flesh, for the emotion. And demonic spirits like for you to get into the emotion and take it personal and argue. They're talking about me. Anything that leads off Jesus is deception. We have to humble ourselves and allow God to train us. And that we have to do things by discipline to study at four, five, six. If you're retired, you can study six hours a day retired. You ain't got nothing else to do. You ain't got no excuse. But for a person from eight to five, struggling with two jobs, hard. But if you study and not be fleshly, don't worry about what people think about you, what they're going to say. All these are hookups to stop you from hearing God. Derek Prince is going to teach today on a two-part series. This is 100 Minutes. And we're going to go through How to Overcome Evil by Dr. Derek Prince. It's good to be with you at the beginning of a new week, sharing with you keys to successful living, which God has placed in my hand through many years of personal experience and Christian ministry. My theme for this week is one which vitally concerns all of us, without exception, how to overcome evil. Every one of us is confronted every day by the presence and the power of evil in various forms, some from without, some from within ourselves. It must be admitted that many of us do not always succeed in overcoming this force of evil, not because we do not want to, but because we do not know how to. In my talks this week, I'm going to share with you, out of Scripture, the all-important how-to, how you can actually overcome evil. First of all, we need to see that there is no room for neutrality. We have two, and only two, alternatives. We either overcome evil, or we are overcome by it. Paul presents these alternatives very concisely in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, where he says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, there are just two alternatives. We can overcome evil, but if we do not overcome evil, then evil will overcome us. There is no state of neutrality where we neither overcome nor are overcome. That just isn't a possibility in actual experience. Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's important to see that there's only one power in the universe strong enough to overcome evil, and that is good. We have to meet evil with good, with a good that is more powerful than the evil that confronts us. Now, the only source of that goodness is God himself. So, in order to overcome evil... We have to be allied with God. We have to have access to God's resources, to God's wisdom, to God's power, to the means that God has placed at our disposal. Now, the goodness of God and all that goes with it, all the resources that flow from his goodness, are revealed to us and made available to us through God's word, the Bible. That's why, in order to overcome evil, we have to be acquainted with the Bible. We have to know what the Bible teaches about it and the provision that God has made for us, which is revealed only in the Bible and in any other book, of course, that's based on the Bible. Now, when we confront evil and we look to the Bible for guidance and wisdom, we find there one revelation of God's Word, which is a key to our whole conflict with evil. If we do not grasp this key and use it, we will be continually frustrated and ultimately defeated. Now listen carefully because I'm going to put in your hand now this key, this revelation of Scripture which is so vital, so essential. The key is this. Evil is not something, it is someone. I'm going to say that again. Evil 
is not something, it is someone. I can remember when I read that simple sentence in a book, the revelation and the transformation that came to me through it. Let me briefly relate a personal experience, not in great detail. For many years, as a preacher, I had a tremendous ongoing struggle with depression. I'm sure none of you have ever had that struggle, or have you? And I used every means I knew. I used prayer, I used fasting, I used Bible study, I made resolutions, but I never gained full and enduring victory until a revelation came to me by the Holy Spirit out of the Word of God. The revelation came from a verse in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, where the Lord promises that he will give his people the garment of praise in place of the spirit of heaviness. And when I read that phrase, the spirit of heaviness, something came to me by revelation, by a flash of insight. I saw that my problem was a person, an invisible but very real person, a person without a body, a spirit, a spirit of heaviness or depression that was systematically attacking me. And when I realized that I was not dealing with something but with someone, I was 80% of the way to victory. Almost immediately after that, I gained complete victory over that awful force of depression which was seeking actually to destroy me and to ruin my ministry. But the victory didn't come without the revelation that I was dealing not with something but with someone. And this is consistent with the whole revelation of Scripture. Behind all evil, there is a person. And the Bible clearly reveals the identity of that person. That person has two main names or titles. In the Old Testament, he's called Satan. And in the New Testament, he's called the devil. Each of those names has a meaning which is significant. The name Satan means the one who resists or opposes. The one who resists and opposes God, God's purposes, and God's people. So as the people of God, we have one who opposes us. Satan, the adversary, the resister. In the New Testament, the title, the devil, means the slanderer or the accuser. So one main weapon that Satan uses against us is slander or accusation. Now where did Satan come from? That's a profound question. I can't answer it in fully in a few moments, but let me say that at one time, Satan was not Satan. He was Lucifer, one of the chief archangels of God, outstanding both for his beauty and his wisdom. Apparently, he was in charge of one-third of all the created angels, but his heart became proud because of his beauty and his wisdom, and he determined to seek equality with God, and he led the one-third of the angels under his charge in rebellion against Almighty God. For that rebellion, he was cast down from the heaven of God's dwelling. But instead of that, he set up his own rival kingdom of rebellious angels in another area of the universe, still in the heavenlies, an area which is sometimes called the mid-heaven, somewhere between earth and the heaven of God's throne and God's presence. And so that's Satan's headquarters today, it's in the heavenlies, and there he rules over a company of rebellious angels, and his supreme purpose is indicated by his name, to resist and to thwart God's purposes and God's people. The New Testament gives us a clear picture of Satan's rival kingdom, where it's located, how it operates, and the spiritual beings that are members of that kingdom. One of the clearest passages is Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. I'm going to read this in two versions. First of all, in the New International Version, then in the Living Bible. We'll begin with the New International Version, Ephesians 6:12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Notice 
There are spiritual forces of evil and they're associated with rulers, with persons who have authority and seek to exercise it and to dominate and to rule. Now, in the Living Bible, this is the translation. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. Lay hold of that phrase, persons without bodies, spirit beings who are in opposition to God and his people. The Living Bible then goes on to specify these persons without bodies. It says, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. So our enemies are persons without bodies. They're led by one person without a body, Satan, and they are located in the spirit world. That's the nature of of our warfare. That's the conflict we're engaged in. Unless we understand it, we cannot possibly be fully successful in it. Let me, in closing, just make a few brief comments on that statement of Paul. First of all, our conflict is cosmic. That is to say, it involves the whole universe, not just earth, but heaven and earth. It's a cosmic conflict. Secondly, it's not in the realm of the senses. We don't know the nature of the conflict by what we see or hear, but it comes to us by revelation through the Holy Spirit and out of Scripture. Thirdly, this conflict and its nature is unrecognized by the majority of people. They just are not aware that this is what they're up against. They know they're struggling against something, but they can't see it and they can't understand it. They don't know how to define it. They don't know how to deal with it. And the fourth point I want to make is that the outcome of this conflict in the spiritual realm is ultimately decisive. The result in the spirit realm, whether it's victory or defeat, will determine the result in every other area of our lives. In my introductory talk yesterday, I shared with you one key revelation out of God's Word. Evil is not something, it is someone. I'll say that again, it's so important. Evil is not something, it is someone. Behind evil, there is a person. In fact, there is a whole host of evil spirit beings. The Living Bible calls them persons without bodies. Vast hosts of spirits, evil spirits in the spirit world. We're not dealing with the world of the senses. We're dealing with another world, the spirit world, which is discerned only spiritually and not through the senses. And in this kingdom of evil, there is a ruler. His name is Satan. That's his Old Testament name, meaning the resistor, the adversary. In the New Testament, his main title is the devil, meaning the slanderer or the accuser. At one time, Satan was not Satan, he was Lucifer, one of the brightest and wisest and most beautiful of all God's archangels. But his heart was lifted up in pride because of his beauty and his wisdom. He sought a place of equality with God himself. He led his angels in rebellion against God. He and his angels were cast out of the heaven of God's presence and set up a rival kingdom in the spiritual realm somewhere in the New Testament referred to as the heavenlies. And that is the source of opposition to us. That is where evil comes from in its pressures against us. If we trace it to its source, that is its source. Today I'm going to describe some of the main ways that Satan works against us. Always remember his name means the resistor, the adversary, the opposer. First of all, I want to give you a few scriptural pictures of Satan. And I want to say in advance, none of them are very pleasant. He's never presented in a pleasant way anywhere in the Bible. Revelation 12:9, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. <clears throat> Notice there two pictures, the dragon, the serpent. The dragon is a great, powerful beast that 
inspires fear, that rages. Very vivid for me because some years back I inherited from my family some antique Chinese uh, vessels, porcelain vessels, that were all marked with the Chinese dragon. And so the image of the dragon is always very real in me. Let me say that I decided I didn't want to keep those vessels in my home, and so I got rid of them simply because I didn't want the portrait of Satan in my home all the time. But for that reason, the dragon is particularly vivid to me. It's large, it's fearful, it's fierce, it's awe-inspiring, it threatens, it terrifies, and it tramples and destroys. On the other hand, the serpent or the snake is small, sometimes scarcely visible. He doesn't come in that same way as the dragon, but he kind of inserts himself through some little crack or hole. I was born in India and uh, grew up the first five years of my life there. One of the problems in India is the cobra. At least 500 people die every year snake bite in India. But the cobra doesn't come like a dragon. He comes up the bathroom pipe, and he's in the room before you know it. Well, that again is how Satan operates. He can be a dragon, or he can be a snake. He can be large and fierce and awe-inspiring and terrifying, or he can be very slimy and slippery and come in through some little hole where you wouldn't expect an enemy to come. And then turn to John 8:44, and this is what Jesus says to the people who were trying to kill him. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Notice the three titles there, murderer, liar, and father of lies. And then in John 10.10, 10, Jesus gives another designation. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief there is a person, of course. It's Satan. He's contrasted with Jesus. Satan is the life taker. Jesus is the life giver. Let's just sum up those pictures of Satan that we've looked at briefly there. The dragon, the serpent, the murderer, the liar, the father of lies, the thief, the life taker. None of those pictures is pretty but they're honest, they're true to the facts. We need to know them. And then notice what Jesus says about the reason that Satan comes into our lives. He says, Satan, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. There are three purposes that Satan has. To steal, to kill, to destroy. Whenever Satan comes into our lives, that's what he comes to do. He'll disguise his motives. He'll seek to conceal his presence and his activity. But his ultimate objectives never change. To steal, to kill, to destroy. To steal means to take away that which is rightfully ours. Our inheritance in God. The blessings that God wants us to have. To kill is to take our life physically. Remember, he's a murderer. He kills people physically. To destroy goes beyond time into eternity. To destroy is the ultimate, ongoing, eternal destruction of the lost soul that's been deceived and ensnared by Satan. So bear in mind continually what Jesus warned us. He only comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. We've looked at some of the main pictures of Satan given us in the Scripture. Now let's look at some of the main ways that he works. What does he do against us? Uh, let's go back to Revelation 12, verse 9, for a moment. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. That's the first and most characteristic operation of Satan. He deceives. He works through deception. He's a liar. He does not come with the truth. He does not present facts as they really are. He deceives us. And only after he has deceived us can he accomplish his other purposes against us. So we need to bear in mind continually that Satan operates on the basis of deception. Deception is the way he initially ensnares his victims. Once he has us deceived, 
then he can do against us the other evil things that are his purpose. So always be on your guard against deception. The real safeguard against deception is the word of God, the truth of scripture. The scripture is true. And if we're persuaded of anything contrary to the scripture, somewhere behind that persuasion is the enemy, Satan. And his aim in deceiving us is to destroy us. We'll turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, a picture of the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness. It says, The tempter came to him, Jesus, and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become brain. Notice the title there given to Satan, the tempter. To tempt is to entice. Satan entices us to do evil. He sets before us something that seems desirable and attractive, and once we're deceived by him, it's pretty easy for us to believe that it's desirable and attractive. Then he says, if you want this thing, then this is what you need to do. But this that he's trying to persuade us to do is always something that's in disobedience to God. He tempts or entices us to disobey God on the basis of something apparently attractive or worthwhile that he's offering us. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18, Paul writes this, For we wanted to come to you, that's the Thessalonian Christians, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan thwarted us. And another version says Satan hindered us. That's another typical activity of Satan, especially towards the servants of God. He thwarts, he hinders, He opposes their intentions. He puts obstacles in their way. He resists. That's one of the meanings of Satan, the resister. And then we look in Revelation 12, 10, speaking of Satan again. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. Another typical activity of Satan. He accuses. He accuses us primarily to God. Why does he accuse us? What's his motive? His motive is to prove us guilty. See, the greatest single tool that Satan has against us is guilt. If he can keep us feeling guilty, then we are never a match for him. We can never rise up, take the offensive against him and defeat him. So he is continually accusing us. He's misrepresenting us. He's bringing out all our bad points and overlooking our good ones and saying everything bad that can be said against us. His aim being to make us guilty. So let's just quickly sum up those four ways in which Satan operates. They're not the only four, but they are four main ways. He deceives, he tempts or entices, he hinders, and he accuses. In my two it's good to be with you again at the beginning of a new week, sharing with you keys to successful living, which God has placed in my hand through many years of personal experience and Christian ministry. This week I'll be continuing with the theme which I commenced last week, How to Overcome Evil. In my talks last week, I explained that evil is not something, but someone someone known as Satan or the devil. And I gave you a brief outline of the history of Lucifer, the bright, beautiful, wise archangel that felled and led his angels in rebellion against God and set up a rival kingdom. The scripture pictures Satan in various ways, none of them pleasant. He's called a dragon, a serpent, a murderer, a liar, the father of lies and a thief. The scripture reveals he has three objectives when he comes into our lives. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. However, the good news of the gospel is that through his death on the cross, Jesus defeated Satan on our behalf in two main ways. First, he made it possible for us to obtain forgiveness of past sins. Second, he made it possible for us to receive God's righteousness by faith 
without having to observe the law. In this way, Jesus deprived Satan of his main weapon against us, which is guilt. In turn, Jesus has put in our hands spiritual weapons with which we can administer his victory over Satan. Last week we looked at one New Testament passage which describes most vividly the weapons that we can use and their effect on Satan. And I'm going to turn back to that passage again now. It's Revelation chapter 12 verses 10 and 11, immediately following the passage in which Satan is described as the dragon and the serpent. This is how these verses read. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, remember that's Satan, the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Then we come to the crucial statement, They, that's the believers, overcame him, that's Satan. Notice the direct person-to-person conflict. They overcame him. Now come the weapons. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And then we have the statement of total commitment. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I interpreted that for you in a simple practical way in this form. We overcome Satan when we testify personally to what the Word of God says that the blood of Jesus does for us. There are the three weapons, the blood of Jesus, the Word of God, and our personal testimony. And we put them together and make them effective when we testify personally to what the Word of God says that the blood of Jesus does for us. I'm going to repeat that once more. It's so important. We overcome Satan when we testify personally to what the Word of God says that the blood of Jesus does for us. Now, to do this effectively, one thing is essential. We must know what the Word of God says about the blood of Jesus. Otherwise, we can't make the testimony. Now, that's what we're going to study together this week. We're going to look at various passages which speak about what the blood of Jesus does for us, and we're going to see how we can testify personally about them in such a way as to make them effective in our lives. Let me remind you briefly of the example of the Passover ceremony, how the blood of the Passover lamb under the Old Covenant was applied to the homes of the Israelites. The father of each family slew the Passover lamb, collected the blood in a basin, and then transferred the blood from the basin to where it was needed, that's his home, with just one simple little instrument or means or provision, a little bunch of hyssop. He dipped the bunch of hyssop in the blood and then sprinkled the blood on his home. So although the hyssop which was such a simple, humble thing, it was absolutely essential, because the blood in the basin protected no one, but the blood on the home protected the home. And to get the blood from the basin to the home, he had to use the hyssop. Now, our hyssop is our testimony. When we testify about what the Word of God says, the blood of Jesus does, that's like taking the blood from the basin and sprinkling it over ourselves where it's needed. Now, let's look at certain statements made in Scripture about the blood of Jesus. We'll turn, first of all, to Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. There are two things that are provided for us by the blood of Jesus. The first is redemption. The second is forgiveness of sins. Let me read those words again, and you listen for those two provisions of the blood of Jesus. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So through the blood of Jesus, we are redeemed. And our redemption is based on the fact that through the blood of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. 
Thus the two things there stated to be provided by the blood of Jesus are first, redemption, and second, forgiveness. But in order to make them effective in our lives, we have to make the appropriate testimony. This is clearly brought out in regard to redemption in a verse in the Old Testament, Psalm 107, verse 2, which says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So to make our redemption effective, we have to say so. We have to declare boldly, we have to make our personal testimony, I am redeemed from the hand of the enemy. The enemy, of course, is Satan. Now we need to understand briefly what redemption is. Redemption is buying someone back. We were, as sinners, exposed in Satan's slave market, exposed for sale. We had no option, we had no choice. The grace and mercy of God is that Jesus walked into Satan's slave market and bought us back out of the hand of Satan with his own precious blood. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Notice again the use of the word lamb. Again, Jesus is compared to the Passover lamb. And with his precious blood, we have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy because our sins have been forgiven. Let's go back to Ephesians 1.7 and just go through that verse once more. It's the key to what we're speaking about right now. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So we have two things made available through the blood of Jesus, redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So we make that effective by our personal testimony, and now I'm going to show you how to do it. We say it like this, through the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. Through the blood of Jesus, I have been redeemed out of the hand of Satan. That testimony, when we make it personally with our own lips, it's like the hyssop. It transfers the blood from the basin to the place where we need it, where we live. I'm going to say that again, and then I'm going to give you the privilege of joining with me once more in repeating those two decisive testimonies. First, through the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. Second, through the blood of Jesus, I have been redeemed out of the hand of Satan. Now, if you can do it, I want you to repeat those after me as I say them phrase by phrase. Are you ready now? Through the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. Remember that word all. That's important. The second, through the blood of Jesus, I have been redeemed out of the hand of Satan. I think we'll say that second one again. It's so good, isn't it? Didn't you feel better when you said that? Now, follow me again. Through the blood of Jesus, I have been redeemed out of the hand of Satan. So that's how we sprinkle the blood of Jesus with our testimony. We say out loud with our mouths what the Word of God says the blood of Jesus does for us. That's the hyssop with which we take the blood from the basin and sprinkle it over our lives. We're continuing this week with our theme that is of such vital concern for all of us, how to overcome evil. Bearing in mind what I've been emphasizing throughout, that evil is not something, but someone. Someone who is called in the Bible, Satan, the devil, a fallen archangel whose name used to be Lucifer, who now heads up a spiritual kingdom of wickedness and lawlessness that opposes both God and the people of God and the purposes of God, and therefore a kingdom that is in direct opposition to us as believers in Jesus Christ. Our studies have centered around one main passage of the New Testament, which depicts our conflict with Satan 
and the weapons through which we can gain the victory. This is Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, that Satan, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him. Notice the direct person-to-person conflict between the believers and Satan. They overcame him. And then are the weapons by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The three crucial weapons, the blood of the Lamb, the word of God, and our personal testimony. Then the measure of commitment needed. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And I pointed out that when we apply this in a simple, practical way, it means that we overcome Satan when we testify personally to what the Word of God says that the blood of Jesus does for us. This is so important, I'm going to repeat it. We overcome Satan when we testify personally to what the Word of God says that the blood of Jesus does for us. Yesterday we focused on two main provisions of the blood of Jesus as revealed in the Word of God. First, redemption. Second, forgiveness. These are stated together in one verse, Ephesians 1, 7. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So when we are in Christ, Through his blood we receive redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We also looked at Psalm 107 verse 2 where it puts upon those who are redeemed the obligation to state it, to affirm it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. In other words, we really are not fully redeemed. We don't have the full rights of redemption until we say so and our redemption is from the hand of the enemy, that is, Satan. Now, to make those effective, I gave you two pattern confessions that you could make, two pattern testimonies. The first one, through the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. The second one, through the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed out of the hand of the devil. Today we're going to focus on another vital provision of the blood of Jesus, that is, cleansing from sin. This provision of cleansing from sin is stated in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the phrase there, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. However, we have to note that that cleansing is conditional because that verse begins with an if, if we walk in the light. So we have to meet that condition before we can appropriate the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. We have to walk in the light. And secondly, it says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The first consequence is fellowship one with another then the second result is the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. Now, all those three verbs, walking, having fellowship, being cleansed, are in what we call the continuous present tense. They are not things that just happen once, but they are things that must go on continually. We must continually go on walking in the light. As we continually go on walking in the light, we continue having fellowship with one another. And as we continue walking in the light and having fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us. It's very important to see the conditions and the consequences, otherwise we're in danger of deceiving ourselves. We can be laying claim to the cleansing of the blood of Jesus when actually we are not really being cleansed because we're not meeting the conditions. I've summed it up sometimes by stating it this way, the blood of Jesus does not cleanse us in the dark, only as we walk in the light. 
And the first test of whether we're walking in the light is that we are having fellowship one with another. So if we are not enjoying fellowship with our fellow believers and with the Lord, then we're not in the light. And if we're not in the light, the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse us. Now that raises a very important question, how do we walk in the light? And I want to suggest to you two important basic conditions. The first one is that we must walk in obedience to the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105, says this, and the psalmist is speaking to the Lord. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. What we walk with is our feet. What we walk on is the path. And the word of God provides us with the light for our feet on the path. In other words, as we walk in obedience, to the word of God that sheds the light on our feet and on our pathway and we are walking in the light but if we are not walking in obedience to the word of God then we are not walking in the light so the first requirement is obedience to the word of God the second requirement is our relationship with our fellow believers we have fellowship one with another this is summed up by Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, where he says, Speaking the truth in love, when all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. There, walking in the light, is relating to our fellow believers in truth and in love. We have to be honest. No hidden reservations, no suspicions, no jealousies. We have to be willing to speak the truth to act out the truth in our relationship with one another, but we have to do it in love. So walking in the light consists of those two things put together. Walking in obedience to the word of God and walking in truth and love with our fellow believers. When we meet those conditions, then we can say with a full assurance, the blood of Jesus is cleansing us from all sin. It's a continuing, ongoing cleansing. We live in a polluted atmosphere. Today we're very conscious of the physical pollution of the atmosphere around us. But it's not merely physical. In another sense, the spiritual atmosphere around us is polluted by sin and corruption and ungodliness. And in order to be kept clean from all that pollution that surrounds us in the spiritual atmosphere, we need the continual ever-present cleansing of the blood of Jesus. Let's go back now to that verse 1 John 1 7 read the whole verse again and then make the application. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. The provision there is the continual ongoing, ever-present cleansing of the blood of Jesus that keeps us pure in an impure world. The conditions we've stated are walking in the light, having fellowship with one another. Now, having made sure that we are meeting the conditions, we are in a position to make the appropriate testimony or confession. It goes like this. Listen carefully. As I walk in the light... The blood of Jesus is cleansing me now and continually from all sin. Let me say that again. I want you to listen carefully. First we state we're meeting the condition. As I walk in the light, the blood of Jesus is cleansing me now, make it very present, very personal, and continually from all sin. Never leave out that little word all. It's so important, especially when we're speaking about sin. Now, I want to give you the opportunity to follow me to get the blessing of making that confession. So I'm going to say it out loud. I want you to follow me phrase by phrase. Listen carefully and follow after me. As I walk in the light, the blood of Jesus is cleansing me now and continually from all sin. It's said once more, as I walk in the light, 
the blood of Jesus is cleansing me now and continually from all sin. If you believe that, you have to start thanking God. And as you do that, you're going to feel pure and clean in a new way. We've been studying together. The Spirit of God is moving throughout the earth, amongst God's people, earth, the main force shifts and change. He is sending forth in the earth the sound to open the portals between heaven and earth. This sound of the Lord causes the heavenly realm to move on the earth, and it opens the way for those on the earth to move in the heavenlies. From the earliest of time, God shows the ram horn or shofar as one of his instruments to release this sound. Awesome things take place when the shofar sounds according to the commandment of the Lord God Almighty. Walls fall down. Enemies are destroyed. The presence of God manifests, and God's people enter into the public cycle of blessing God has prepared for them. The shofar wrote or sounded in three distinguished ways. First, they awaken and alert God's people. Sharp staccato blasts by watchmen on the wall, sounding the alarm of approaching danger. In the midst of war, the teruah ordered God's armies to attack in the approachment enemies. When we hear the teruah, a sequence of nine short blasts, we know God is strategic releasing us into our future. The chauffeur wrote also released breaking sounds in a series of three medium blasts called shiverine. The shiverine signal a breaking down of what resists the Lord and a breaking in of God's power and God's grace and purpose. Both are seen in Gideon's victory over the Midianites. The blast of the chauffeur wrote in the breaking sound of the pots wrote bound the great Midianite army and allowed God's people to break through with victory. The third sound of the shofar is a single extended blast called the tekiah. The tekiah sound established the sound, presence, and purpose of God in the earth and orders his people in his perfect time. When the tekiah is leased to a tekiah, it firmly and finally establishes God's sovereignly purpose and rule over the person, soul, or territory for which he is blown into. Almighty God, release your sound in us, your people, through the blast of the chauffeur. Establish us in your cycle of redemption and restoration. Holy Spirit, minister us with the chauffeur role in our current place and season. Let the sounds of victory, refreshment, alertness, and battle, and enthronement move in our souls when the chauffeur is playing to position us for the days that lie ahead. El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, you are our deliverer. Overcome our enemies and release over us the sound of your great victory. By your sovereign right hand establish your rule over us and over our territory. Let your kingdom come. From the storm of Jesse to the roots of vestige, we shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, and the spirit of power and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he would delight in the fear of the Lord. He would not judge by what he sees with his eyes or what he hears in his eyes or his mind. But in righteousness he would judge the needy and in justice he would give decisions. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lip he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his God, and faithfulness to shafts around his waist. In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you are angry with me, your anger is turned away. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is his name. The Lord is his strength. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nation his name is God. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing 
to the Lord and shout to the Lord God, for great is the Holy One of Israel, the Lord God. Of the show. I come just now to say thank you, O King. We will give him praise today. I come just now to say thank you, O King. We honor the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, the most powerful second Adam on earth. I come just now to say thank you, O King. I have seen demons tremble You're at the name of Jesus. You're not just a part of my... I have seen them tremble at the name of Jesus. We have a powerful God. For the Lord said, why would you serve me in your flesh? You're trying to please me in your flesh. Serve me in spirit. Those who seek me must worship me in spirit. I am you sure the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. I'm for the Gentile and for the Jew. And salvation is made for the Jew first and then the Gentile. For I love thee, cease from your flesh, said the Lord. Cease from your emotions. Cease from your anger. For the righteousness of God is not of the anger of the flesh, but the spirit. For you to hear me, you must move away from your fleshly mind and your carnality and your ideology. Move away from that and get your spirit in line with my word. And yet I do speak to you through my word. I come just now to say thank you, O King. I come just now to say thank you, O King. I come just now to say thank you, O King. You're not just a part of my life, but my everything. Your love reaches way down deep within. Passes human understanding There will always be a song for you I sing One word alone just can't express my heart's desire Gratitude for one more day my needs supply Your warm embrace and tenderness Patient with me through all my mess I come to one conclusion You are the best Hallelujah To our King Hallelujah I will
away from the spirit of God the earth is getting more violent and I believe in these last days we got to really hear him through his word God talks through his word and he can talk to an audible voice it's his choice how he wants to talk to you never compare yourself to another person's ministry you don't know what you've done you don't you ain't labored the way they labored I'm just giving you facts and tips to keep you on track never be jealous of another person's anointing because all of these are signals of Satan how can you, who has filth in you, clean someone else? The scripture said that us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, Second Corinthians 7, 1. I, I really believe that we're in the last days where we are having so much violence, killings, threatening of congressmen. I mean, it's just getting worse and worse, and God is trying to call us. And we need to be ready. All right. We're going to get ready and close out. Let's open up the line of Chaplain John Durden. Chaplain John Durden, good evening. And you now have the mic. Good evening, my brother. That's really cool. I'm, I see I get, <clears throat> the Lord had led me to read the right book. You know, I got three books in front of me by my brother and the Lord who teaches in us tonight. I have three books on that uh, talks about the blood of Jesus Christ. I said, Wow. I'm reading the right books. And what you were teaching through the Word tonight, I mean, um, what was being taught tonight through the Word, I have read that in all three of those books. And going back to really get it into my spirit, that's the confirmation that the Lord um, was telling me that you're reading what I want you to read. Because i got about eight, nine, ten, twelve books on my table right in front of me. And talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. Wow. Those are three books i got in front of me. I'm reading one from one to the other. It's been a great time. God bless you. Say, Lord, amen. Uh, private line will be calling Dr. Leroy Simpson, Private Line, W.E.D. Walker, Milmore, Jackson, Johnny, and Dr. Nivett, Chaplain Dirty and After Old with Private Line. Great, but uh, I have some calls I got to make right after. Okay. All right, I'll call well, you I mean, real I quick. Talk, for... I can talk to you, yeah, because uh, I, I got okay. people waiting on my call, family members. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. God bless everybody. Look, we had a blessed night. We had a prophetic word. Please so see to Live Deliverance Internet Radio at www.livedeliverance.com on the lower left-hand side of the icon. So see and keep us on air. Shalom and God bless. <clears throat>